surprise to you, too. Thanks a lot, brother. Uh, Sid, you know what? I was going to be kind, but you, you opened the door. Rule number one is you never throw out an insult to a person who's going to have the microphone after you. You know, that's, that's one of those rules. Yeah, in response to what Sid said about me making notes, you do. You just sit there and things, when you're a preacher of the word or a teacher of the word, things just continue to come to you. And I was telling uh, Julie, uh, by the way, I love your pastor and his wife. Don't you all? I mean, they're just, and I'm, and really, I'm, I'm only saying that because they're here. Um, but uh, I was telling Julie earlier, I said, you know, the, uh, there was four pastors went out for coffee and they were talking about preparing for sermon, how they prepare for sermon. And one pastor said, he goes, I start Sunday afternoon for the next week's sermon. I go, I just, I, I have to focus. And if that flame gets any higher, um, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to evacuate the building. Debbie and I were watching it grow. I mean, look at that. Look at that. It just, it, it, it isn't smoking. Well, there's no fire alarm. So the one pastor, by the way, you all know because I've been here before that I'm ADHD. I'll switch tangents. I'll switch topics. I may start with a parable and I may end with prophecy. I don't know where I'm going with anything. So these four pastors are sitting and the first pastor says, well, I always start on Sunday afternoon. I just want to dig right in and get right into the sermon. The other pastor says, well, I kind of wait till Wednesday. Wednesday is I feel like I'm, I'm ready to, to start uh, preparing the sermon. And the third pastor said, well, you guys are better than me because I I start on Saturday. I just wait until Saturday before I start doing my sermon. And they looked at the fourth pastor and they said, what about you? He said, well, I've always found that a really long hymn just before the sermon really helps a lot. So anyway, and I had this written down. I exited out. But since you opened the door, I was going to say that first hymn, you know, Julie said that that came out the year that her and Sid were married. You know, what you did know is that Charles Wesley was playing the piano at that time. So... Anyway, <laughs> but it is good to be here. We do consider, we've been asked to sign the guest book, and uh, we do consider uh, Longmont one of our church families. We, we always enjoy coming here. You make us feel so, so welcome. And so it is, and it, it's strange for me to be pulpit filling when the pastor is sitting in the audience as well. So we're both going to share this, and I promise maybe both of us will stay awake the whole time. So that'll be fun. I know that Sid did a wonderful prayer. And by the way, I, I commend you on your prayer list in the bulletin. Those are, and a lot of them are personal and, and, and local and, and church family. But I'll tell you, some of, the, some of the larger issues on that prayer list are on my heart as well. I will mention Mark Runner, Pastor Mark of Hope Hacienda. I usually am preaching there today uh, on Sundays because of his bladder cancer. Godly man, wonderful man. Pray for him. He had surgery last week um, uh, to repair the kidney tubes. And uh, he would not he would not mind. And we, I just prayed last night that he would have strength to preach today uh, with me being up here. So that's one uh, that's on my heart. Pray for our Nazarene denomination and our universities. We're going to talk a little bit a bit today about the world. And um, it's infiltrating everywhere, including our own denomination and our, our universities. And we need to pray um, because Satan is ramping up his efforts. He knows the time is short. And like I said, you're... My uh, sermons on salvation, I may just launch into a prophetic sermon without any notes, but the, the, the time is short. We are living in the last days. For all I know, and I think I do because I studied a lot, we're in the last of the last days. I mean, Jesus' return is, 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 is soon. And I just, um, I pray for our nation, I pray for our world, but I also pray for our pulpits. That pastors will be true to the word. 
Because we have to understand that biblical Christianity is not popular. And popular Christianity is not biblical. I saw that in, in Facebook. And uh, I'm not a fan of Facebook. I'm, I'm a voyeur. I don't post anything. I just look at everybody else's postings. But sometimes there's some inspirational ones. And that one just hit me. Is that biblical Christianity is not popular and popular Christianity is not biblical. The other thing I saw was that the church does not determine what the Bible teaches. The Bible determines what the church teaches. And we have to understand that. And I know I've seen heads nodded. I don't see anybody going like that. If I did, we'd have chat afterwards or I'd, I'd turn you over to Pastor Sid. But we have to understand that we are living in a culture that is antithetical and hateful towards, towards um, Christians. And we have to understand that and be strong and courageous in our in our walk with the Lord. But anyway, so I, uh, the Oregon coast, the rain, I was in, I was, Washington and Oregon has all this, you know, this uh, uh, reputation for rain. I was there for a week one time and it only rained twice. Once for three days and once for four days. So <laughs> I, I don't understand what the problem is. But uh, so anyway, today's message is on the economics of salvation and discipleship, the price versus cost. And then we're going to get into that, and, and you'll understand what that is. So let, let's uh, in our post-COVID world, obviously now prices is become price is always a huge thing. Most of us shop by price and not by cost. We look at the price tag, and that determines whether we're going to buy something or not. Many, many times, and of course now in our post-COVID world, with inventory shortages, building supplies are going through the roof. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and uh, gas pump prices are double what they were a year ago. I mean, we are seeing price increases, and that helps us, or not, it causes us to rethink many of our purchases. Because many of us buy on price alone and not necessarily cost. For instance, free puppies or free kittens. Okay, the price is free, but there's a cost associated with it. I was in uh, technology marketing for 25 years, and one of the buzzwords in our industry was cost of ownership. You buy yourself a computer or a computer server, you set up the network, and that's done. That's the price. We quoted, our salespeople quoted a price. But we also had to come in and talk about cost of ownership. What is this going to cost you in regards to maintenance and upgrades and, and swapping out data disks and, and files and, and transferring and, and all of the things that go along with it the price wasn't necessarily the thing that you would look at because you would talk about cost of ownership. The difference between buying a Chevy or a Buick and a BMW. Huge price difference. But from what I understand, because I've never owned a BMW, I just watch people drive. If you own one, God bless you. But I just watch people drive by their BMWs and go, so, um, but understanding that the BMW apparently has this amazing forever, you know, maintenance plan so if you add it all up you know maybe it's better to put all the money up front in the car and the maintenance becomes goes along with it why do you think they sell maintenance contracts you know <laughs> that's again that's the uh, you know they tracked me down my apparently my warranty's expired <laughs> i didn't even know that and they find me everywhere my text my phone my home phone they walk to me up on the street and say, sir, your warranty's expired. But why do they sell those things? Well, number one, to sell them because there's a, kick, there's a, a commission for selling them. But secondly, it gives you that, that hint that there's going to be 
uh, larger cost down the road than just the price of your car. Starbucks is even getting in on the whole pricing thing. They finally opened up a value menu for 99 cents. You can take a sip of someone else's beverage. And so price has become a thing. Let's talk about the principle that Christ laid out in Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Luke, but I realize Mark had a better phrasing. But the principle is, he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me or become my disciple... And then Matthew says, come after me. But the the essence is, if anybody's going to follow me, if anybody's going to be my disciple, they have to do three things. First of all, let him deny himself or herself. Let him take up his cross daily. And finally, follow me. Those are the three requirements for being a disciple of Christ. Now, again, if we go back to the next slide, you know, first of all, the price of salvation is free. Don't ever doubt that. The price of salvation is free. Ephesians 2.8.9 says clearly, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast or lest anyone boast. It is free. You come to Christ as you are. And if every, every message should have a gospel message in it. Every sermon should have a gospel message in it. So here it is. If you come to Christ as you are, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to have done enough. You just come to Jesus Christ as you are, confess your sins, claim the salvation through his shed blood, and you are saved. It's free. But there, and amen, but there is a cost. Now, we don't preach a lot about the cost because we want to make sure we get people into the fold. But if you ever give the impression that the minute you become a Christian, everything's just giggles and sherry and life's roses, that's wrong. You become a, a Christian... Satan's not happy about it, and you can't promise from the pulpit that if you come to the altar and you have Jesus, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, as you walk back to your seat, Satan's already planning how he's going to make you doubt that. He's not happy about it. Angels are rejoicing. Satan's plotting as to how to destroy that faith that you just professed 30 seconds earlier. Chances are you walk out of the church and your tire's flat. I mean, that's just, you know, that's the way Satan works. But salvation is free. Praise God. We don't have to earn it. But there is a cost. And Jesus said, if you truly want to be my disciple and follow me and come after me, we need to do three things. And that is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So let's go ahead and look at these three bullets. First one, deny yourself. It goes absolutely counter... Well, there you go, just in case you didn't know who was uh, preaching. This goes absolutely counterculture to our, our world today. Our world today is completely self-centered. It's a me-me culture. It's indulge yourself. It's take care of yourselves. It's please yourself. So others don't matter. And the culture has now turned it into, I can become a victim anytime I want to. If I don't like what you're saying, now I can become a victim. It's all about me, me, me. That is our culture. It has become worse. It's become rampant. But God tells you just the opposite. The Bible says just the opposite. We need to put others first, and we need to, first of all, deny ourselves. And that's, that's hard because it's battling the one sin that everybody battles, and it's what was the downfall of Satan, and that was pride. Satan did everything but deny himself. He exalted himself, he exalted himself to the point where he exalted, O morning star, you were the head of all the angels. And yet he exalted himself so much he thought he could be God. 
and was cast out. And that just messed everything up. But it was pride. And so Jesus said, okay, the first thing we have to do if you're going to follow me is we're going to have to cast down your pride. You're going to have to deny yourself. So here's some, some points on denying yourself. It's just the thing with stewardship. If we were talking a stewardship message, I would start out by saying bullet number one, understand that, God's own, understand that God owns everything. When I do my financial counseling, my financial planning um, in, my, in my business, we work with believers only. Our company works um, with believers. And we start out on the same premise that we're on the same page, and that is God owns everything and we're called to be wise stewards. So when we come to Christ, we understand, first of all, that Christ owns us. We were bought with a price. Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Or his body is the te- yeah. temple of the Holy Spirit who you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now the price, of course, was Jesus' blood, but it cost him his life. And he purchased our redemption. I love the old hymns, the doctrine that is in old hymns. And I don't know if I've gotten on this soapbox before in front of you all, but I have at other churches. You know, I love the, the, the contemporary praise and worship songs are wonderful and they, 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 they make you feel good in the presence of God. But I tell you, those old hymns, there's just doctrine, doctrine, doctrine in it. And I love the fact that we were purchased by Jesus Christ shed blood. He bought us. And he canceled our sin and forgave us. And so we are not our own. So that's first knock at the old pride. God is continually chipping away at my pride. And I find ways to piece them back together. So he has to chip away at it again. The second thing is remember the covenant that you made with God when you were saved. He promised to save you and give you the Holy Spirit, eternal life. You promised obedience and repentance. And I'm going to put in there, so I'm going to, the next when I do this again, it'll be trust. Because I love that hymn, Trust and Obey. That's all Jesus calls us to do. Just trust and obey. And so that's what we, have, that's what we promised to God. When we sat at this altar, or knelt to this, at this altar, we said, Okay, God, you're going to save me. You're going to fill me with the Holy Spirit. You're going to give me eternal life. I've restored my relationship with you. But in turn, there's something that we have to do now afterwards, and that is we're going to trust him, we're going to obey him, we're going to follow him. And so that's our promise to Christ as we come to him. Thirdly, remember that sin is not only a violation of God's law, but a violation of the relationship. As we're growing up and we disobeyed our parents, I do these Facebook postings again when they say, did you ever sass back to your parents? And most people our age, I'm talking, if anybody's younger than us, fine. Hope you never sassed your parents. But people my age will respond only once. You know? <laughs> because I was picking my teeth up off the ground, you know, or I was selecting the color of belt that my dad was going to use. And there was only two, brown or black. Gee, what do I feel like today? Oh, I think I'd like to be smacked with a brown belt today, I turned out, well, I was going to say, I turned out okay. My wife's going, hmm. But it was a violation of relationship. When we disobeyed our parents, we avoided them. You know, not just because we didn't want to be troubled, but we, we, felt, we felt uncomfortable around them because we knew we'd done something wrong. And until it was made right, 
We weren't comfortable. Forget the punishment. Folks, forget the punishment. With Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, our punishment's been taken care of. He took care of our punishment on the cross. But it's that relationship that gets fouled up when we sin, and sometimes when we sin and it's fresh in our minds, we have trouble praying. Because the relationship has been broken. It has been impacted in some way so that we come to the Lord and we go, man, I've got to ask forgiveness just to get started with the conversation because I have sinned. And finally, when we talk about sinning, control your imagination, your mind, and your heart, and your thoughts and desires. That's where it all starts. It all starts in the mind. Many men's ministries and addiction ministries and, and um, other kinds of, of ministries for men focus on that. Focus on the mind, because that's where, for at least from a man's standpoint, that's where it all begins with us. But from a human standpoint, it does the same thing. It starts in our minds. The Christian battle is fought in the mind. And Satan and our culture want to win that battle for the control of your mind. Let no one say to you when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth that spiritual death. The other thing about temptation, and I'm going to go off on a little bit of a secondary line, is that, to me at least, there's an an oft-misquoted, well, that's a... It's an oft-misquoted verse in the Bible that many of us use to... to, We we use the word trials instead, and it's not up there because it's one of those things where you add while you're thinking. The second verse that I would encourage you to put into your notes is 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is not trials. And there was a posting, an inspirational posting on Facebook months ago, and I have it in my phone. I almost brought my phone up here because I have all these wonderful things I like to share because I I cut and paste or I screen capture these. And and there was a, a posting just about this verse, and I agreed. I said, Amen, Amen. And that is, we misinterpret that that says that no trial has come upon you, and God will not give you anything more you can bear. Baloney! God continues to give you trials more than you can bear. Because then you have to depend on Him. So this verse is not about trials. If you go around and tell someone as a new believer, or you're a believer, and you have fooled yourself or been fooled into thinking, oh, God will never give me a trial more than I can bear, you know that's wrong. We've all been there. The only place is at the altar to give that burden and that trial to God because He will continually either give or allow you to be burdened more than you can bear. This verse is temptation. He will never tempt you beyond what you can bear and with that temptation, He'll give you a way out. You can get up and leave, stop the relationship with that person, drive by that establishment, On and on and on. Walk away from that conversation. There's always a way out when you're tempted. Now, you may not choose to take that way out. You may choose to just indulge. 
And everybody here is thinking of a different thing. Everyone here is going, oh yeah, that's, boy, that's... Every time, if you think about a situation where you have been, have been tempted and then sinned, whether it was thought, word, or deed, and you sinned, the chances are if you replay that in your mind, there was a way out. Shut your mouth, walk away, drive by, turn the computer off, turn your phone off, end that relationship, something in there, there was a way out. God didn't tie, Satan didn't tie your hands and push you in to that sin. Now, your enticement and your, and your thoughts led you, but God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. But with that temptation, He provides you, as you're getting there and you're tempted, there's this big exit sign. Bonk, bonk, bonk. You know, it's like, whew, there's a way out of this. There's a way out of this, and we either look at it and we walk out the exit. Oh, there is an exit sign right there. And there is an exit sign that you can get out of the situation or you choose to ignore it. You know, and that's where we pray for strength, and that's where we sometimes turn that blind ear to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's given us everything He's got, and we're just kind of pretending that He's not. But we have, we have to understand that it begins in the mind, and that temptation. I know I've really got on a soapbox on that one, but it's just, I I don't like it when pastors say, um, not pastors, just anybody, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers say that that 1 Corinthians says that you will never have a trial more than you can bear. That's wrong. You will always have trials more than you can bear. That's what God and the Holy Spirit are there for. But you will never have a temptation more than you can bear. Okay, that's that's it. That's um, deny yourself. Secondly, take up your cross daily. What is your cross? I saw something today I was reading this morning and last night, reading more scriptures and more commentaries on this, this verse, and i got to disagree with a brother in the Lord that I read his little comment on it, and that what is, is your cross is your burden. Folks, no it's not. When you come to the Lord and you go, oh, I, the cross that I bear for being a Christian, the burdens that I bear, no, that's not the cross. The Bible clearly says in Matthew 11:29, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. We are to share our burdens with the Lord. The cross was an instrument of death. So when Jesus said, "You need to take up your cross," part two, he meant you have to be willing to give up everything and die for me. Just like he did for us. Now many of us, most of us, probably all of us here, have not been called upon to die for Christ. But it's coming. For those of us that live long enough, the time is coming where many of us here, some of us here, if we are true to the Lord, we continue to be faithful to to Scripture, we'll have to either either, um, proclaim Christ or deny Christ. And proclaiming Christ may cause us the loss of our jobs, uh, the loss of our freedom, uh, the loss of our life, something will happen because we are identifying with Christ. So Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, if you're, if you're going to be my disciple, we need to deny ourselves. And secondly, we've got to be able to take up our cross. And that's easy to say, oh, I'll take up my cross because I'll take up the burden of being a Christian. No, that's not what he meant. How do you know, Mark? Were you there? Well, no, I wasn't. But he wrote it down, and I believe some of the commentaries, and I look at this and I honestly believe that it was meant to say you have to be willing to die up to 
willing to die to follow me. Luke 14, 27 through 33 says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, the project? Lest, after he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish the project, and all who see him begin to mock. The man began to build, and he was not able to finish. Or a king is going to make war against another king, doesn't sit down and consider whether he's able to hit his 10,000 Soldiers to meet those who comes against meet those who comes against him with twenty thousand, or while others are still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of speak of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus saying is that as you come to him, we need to do a better job of educating our new believers that there is a cost. A man sits down to build a project. He makes sure he has all the building materials. Of course, the thing today is is now he's got to requote it at three times the cost because of the building materials. But a person makes sure he has the building materials. A, a, a king does not decide to go to war with another uh, kingdom unless he's pretty sure that his 10,000 soldiers, have, they have a strategy to beat 20,000 soldiers. We need to count the cost. And the cost for coming to Christ, we have been very fortunate in this country. It has not cost us a lot to be a Christian. It hasn't. The church doors are open. Now, many of you have individual stories. Please, I don't want you sitting out there and going, well, he doesn't know what I've been through. That's not What I'm saying is that in our country in general, it has been easy to be a Christian because of, the, of our founding fathers, our constitution and everything, but it's going to be coming more and more difficult and more challenging and you're going to have to make a stand and we're going to have to be courageous and finally um, the last part taking up our cross this is another whole message so I'm not going to go into it taking up our cross the third point is that it also means we're crucified with him and we are no longer slaves to sin because you can't be a slave to someone that you're dead to you know if you die all your debts are paid now the people maybe there's people after you that have to but when you die there's no more taxes there's no more debt when you're dead to something, it doesn't exist anymore for you or have no influence over you. So as if you're crucified with Christ, you're dead to sin. Sin should not have any power over you because to sin, you're dead. It's like, sorry, I'm dead. Leave me alone. Now, that's easy for me to say from the pulpit. Living it, of course, is a, is a challenge. The last part is follow me. What does following Christ entail? The first thing I need you to do is go to bullet three and add a couple of words because as I looked at it this morning, I went, oh. I went, that sounds terrible because bullet two says love each other and bullet three says hate the world. Hatred for the things of this world. So if you want to correct your notes, please put hatred for the things of this world or the world in general with quotes, not hate the world. We're supposed to evangelize the world, but I'm talking hating the things of this world. So any of you looking ahead and went, I just don't believe he said that. I haven't said that yet. I wanted to correct it. So, first of all, obedience. What does following Christ entail? There's, there's a number of bullets. Let's just go through a few. Obedience. As the Father loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. He asked for obedience. Following Christ, Christ set down the standard. We need to obey him. Jesus said, if you obey my laws, you love me, and you love my Father who sent me. Obey, obey my commands, you love me, and you love the Father who sent me. Obedience. My father, I grew up in that generation where obedience was love. 
if I obeyed my family, then my dad assumed that, my ki- that his kids loved him if we obeyed him. That was our sign. He, my dad wasn't very affectionate, but obedience was our way of expressing our love and respect for our parents. And Jesus is asking for the same thing. He's asking for obedience. Number two, love for fellow believers and love for others. I mean, if you read John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 3, even though this is John 15, it's all about love. My goodness, John chapter 3, of course, is, is John 3, 16. 1 John chapter 3 has the word love about, I don't know, 20 times. We are called to love each other and especially fellow believers. I love Christian fellowship. I like hanging out with believers. I do. Y'all are good to be with. No, and I've heard a pastor say, well, not all of you, but... Um, we, we need to love each other. We need to love the world. We need to love the world in regards to their, their lostness and their, our desire to bring them to Christ. But boy, fellow believers, there's just something about fellowship and loving and caring and having faith and, or having compassion for our, our fellow believers. Fellowship is, a, is a, something unique to Christians. And we need to learn to love on each other and enjoy, enjoy the presence of other believers. And then the third bullet, the offending bullet, hatred for the things of this world and hatred from the world. John 15 goes on to say, if the world hates you, don't you know that it hated me first? If you were of this world, the world would have loved you and loved its own. But because you're not of this world, but you are not of this world because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's the world about eight times. And I tell you right now, the world hates us. End of story. If you believe the world doesn't hate us, you're not paying attention. Or you're living in a, in a cave. Don't kid yourself. Christianity, the Bible, morality are all under fire and are hated and under attack by our culture and our media. And, it, and if you're, and this is not a, a, a conviction or an Is it okay if I go a couple minutes over? I'm going I'm to steal the rest of your minute. Okay, is that all right? I'm, I'm going to take the time left over from the missions minute. My sister just, she, sister in the Lord said it's okay. I know that's only like 34 seconds, but um, I'm not, this is not an indictment or a conviction. It is on me as well. If you are comfortable in the world, then you're not living for Christ. If the world loves you and embraces you and, and everything, and, and then you apparently they're doing something not Christ. Or Christ isn't shining through you because if you are shining Christ, they're not going to like you. They're just not. You're not going to fit in in some way, shape, or form if you're living a life 100% sold out for Jesus. There's no such thing as 110%, folks. It's mathematically impossible. I hate that thing. Oh, that person gave 110%. No, they didn't. They gave 100. If they gave more than what they gave before, then they were only giving 90. Because you can't give more than 110%. So if you're 100% sold out for Christ, the world is gonna, you're gonna make somebody uncomfortable. Somebody angry. Just try posting something on Facebook that has any spiritual or biblical, you know, um, uh, validity to it. And, I mean, it's just, you know, you're, it depends on who you're friends with. But there's just attacks. There's just attacks and attacks. It's just starting. We need to pray for courage. We need to pray for our country. Yes, you want to pray for protection. That's great. But understand that the more you live for Christ, the more the world's going to hate you. So I want to make it very, very clear that that bullet is hatred for the things of this world. Because we still have to love the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we still have to love the world into the family of God. But we don't have to love the things of this world. We need to have hatred for it. It needs to disgust us, not mildly amuse us. 
not be apathetic about it. Um, it's okay, that's that part of the world. No, no, we need to have a, a holy, divine hatred for the things of this world. And finally, sacrifice, oh no, I got two more bullets. Sacrifice, Romans 12, with very popular uh, or, or well-known passage, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And finally, Christ-likeness. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. We want to be like Christ. When Debbie and I were growing up, there was bracelets really popular that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, and that was, that was because you're supposed to look at that as a teen, and you're in a situation, you go, what would Jesus do? And a lot of teens just started taking the bracelet off because it was too convicting. So finally, we're going to take a look at the paradox of all of this. I've actually got um, challenged or convicted to, to write a small booklet or make a sermon or Sunday school series out of the paradoxes in the Bible. Because Jesus spoke in paradoxes. Everything was a paradox. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it for my sake. The end of this passage, Luke 9.23, goes into 24 and 25, says, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. So he's talking about denying yourself, taking up your cross, following me, because if you really want to save yourself, you have to lose it. If you want to save your life, lose your life for my sake. And other paradoxes, this is just to end end up is that uh, you can only be serve, you only can be strong through weakness. If you want to be first, you want to be willing to be last. You must give in order to receive. I mean, all of these paradoxes in the Bible, um, I think uh, the references are in your sermon notes. But I want to just conclude with the final slide again, just to remind you that Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me or anybody wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love to us, your son Jesus. God, we lift up our culture today, our world, our country, our denomination. God, we pray for protection on our families. Oh, the culture is just going after our kids and grandkids. Just there's an all-out war to capture the hearts and minds of our kids and our grandchildren. We pray, Father, for courage in the face of any type of criticism or backlash for being a believer. In fact, the Bible even goes on to say, if you are standing trial, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit's going to give you exactly what you need to say. God, give us strength. Give us courage. We pray for protection as long as it's your will. Some of us may have to sacrifice, but God, give us again courage. Thank you for this uh, church family here in Longmont and their ministry to the community and for uh, Pastor Sid and Julie's leadership and for all that are, are, are um, participating in the ministry of this church. Thank you again, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and then his resurrection, which cemented it and made our resurrection in the future possible. We ask these things in Jesus' name and we look forward to his return. Amen. Do you want